As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Keith Law, welcome back to the Keith Law Show. It's our first episode of 2021. Appreciate you staying with us during our hiatus. I have been working furiously on the Top 100 Prospects Ranking, which will run on Thursday, January 28th. We're doing it a little differently this year. The Top 100 is going to run on this Thursday. The remainder of the package, including the org rankings and the individual Top 20 Prospect lists for each of the 30 teams, will run after the Super Bowl, over the course of that week following the Super Bowl. So please stay tuned for that. We also are running a current promotional deal. If you go to theathletic.com slash K-L-A-W, if you're not a subscriber yet, you can go to that URL and there is a $3.99 per month promotional rate to start up your subscription. So if you're not already a subscriber, please check that out. If you are already a subscriber, thank you very much. We greatly appreciate your business. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. My guest this week is my colleague, Britt Giroli. She has recently been promoted to be one of our national baseball writers over at The Athletic. Britt, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Keith. So I feel like we have a billion baseball things that are not really baseball things to talk about. Uh, We'll start with, uh, you wrote a piece last week that just seems to keep going and going uh, on the Jared Porter imbroglio with the Mets and some of your own personal experiences uh, along those lines, working in baseball. So for folks who haven't read it, and I actually I highly recommend that they do so, 
give us a little bit of a, a summary of what you talked about and how familiar, unfortunately, that story seemed to you. Yeah. So as soon as I heard about the Jared Porter incident with the reporter, I immediately went back to my experiences, which I think a lot of females did the same thing. To me, uh, the most egregious example uh, is what I read about in that story in 2012, the night before the Orioles' first playoff game in 15 years. I got a text message. A guy who's helped me a bunch, a player, uh, said he had some news for me, didn't want to share it over the phone. Um, I agreed to meet with him. Uh, he said, you know, if, if we someone sees us in the lobby together, that's not good. I said, you totally agree. I'll come up to your room. No worries. Uh, never thought it was going to be a problem. I walked in. It was very clear this was not about a news story to give me. There were candles. He was playing music. He tried to kiss me. He told me he was married for tax purposes. Um, the whole litany of things here. And I remember being keenly aware uh, of two things. Where the door was, I wanted to make sure that I was always the closest to the door in case it got physical. And, and second, I wanted to know, and I asked him, what made you think I liked you like this? You know, like, because that's always your default is I must have done something wrong. And he said, because you were always nice to me, you know, and that resonates here when you talk about a profession, like, as you know, Keith, where you have to be nice to people. Nobody right. has to help you. So, and it's not just that experience. It's being in the the elevator with a, a, a manager who wants to know what room number you're in. It's accepting a ride home from a broadcaster and they try to kiss you on the way out the door. It's, you know, a, a source getting a, a, you know, saying a little inappropriate stuff over a text message, but that source is in a front office and you need them. Um, it's these tiny little slights, a reporter accusing you of flirting with a player. And that's why he called you back before he called that reporter back. Um, it's these constant little slights. And I've heard from, Probably 300 women, not just in, in baseball, but in other media. And it, it's been out of control. Uh, my agent, Alex Flanagan, covered the NFL for years and years and said, you nailed what I went through for 20 years. Um, so I think what's important here and what I want people to know is that Jared Porter is a creep, yes, but it's not an isolated incident. It is something that happens all the time in baseball. It is something that you're continuously trying to fight um, as a female reporter. Now, as you get older... Um, it gets easier, certainly. I joke around that I'm too old now. You know, nobody wants to hit on me anymore. Uh, but I, I think, I wonder, for these younger reporters coming in, in the age of social media, I get so many women reach out to me saying, hey, what about this DM from this guy? You know, what do you think? Should I meet this guy? Because I need him. I need this player. But I also don't want him to get the wrong impression. And I think it's just this slippery slope. And I hope what we can take from this moment, Keith, is just like a, a way to move forward with this all, right? Like, I, I didn't write this column to get attention. And unfortunately, um, it's gotten a lot more attention for me personally than I ever really wanted. Uh, but I'm hoping that it can maybe move this conversation forward and we could say, okay, it didn't just happen to Brittany. It didn't just happen to that other woman. It didn't just happen to, uh, you know, Disha Thosar, who wrote about her experiences um, in New York. It's happening all the time. And how can... We change it. How can men be allies to help with this change and not enable it? The thing that struck me the most about your column and some of the other things that were shared, and the, the Porter situation is, is it's almost a problem in the sense that everyone can look at the Jared Porter situation and say, well, that's terrible, right? That's way over the line. But it's not that. That is the tip of a much larger iceberg, right? And that's the most egregious example, but it's the minor things that happen all the time. It's You just point, you just said it again, which is something, I, again, I've taken away from your article, which is that 
and I don't think about it enough myself, which is that, yeah, you said, you said, yeah, Keith, you have to be nice to people too, because we need them. But when I'm nice to people, they never hit on me. And they never think that I'm trying to hit on them or trying to create, that doesn't even come up in such a male dominated sport anyway, but also gender power dynamics. Like that's just not going to happen. And so thus it is not something I ever have to worry about. I never have to worry that being nice to somebody is going to lead to undesirable consequences. The worst thing that happens is they're not nice to me back and I feel bad. That's not really the same thing. Whereas I, it, it's probably safe to assume every woman in this industry has to think that way. I have two choices. I can be nice to this person and cultivate a good working relationship with this associated risk, or I can be maybe not nice to them, not get that relationship and, and maybe be called, maybe be called a bitch, which is not a word that we're ever going to hear. You know, I'm not going to hear that when I'm not nice to somebody. When I see, when I've criticized people in front offices and scouting departments and essentially said, you didn't do a good job with this, they may get mad, but the whole tenor of the conversation is very different because it's man to man, not with the power dynamics of a man speaking to a woman. Right. And, and let me ask you a question, Keith. Have you ever picked out an outfit you were going to wear to the ballpark and, and thought to yourself, you know what? If I wear this, it might send off a wrong vibe. No, I no. just want to make sure everything matches. That's basically my right. big thing is like make sure that the colors don't clash, which is also not the same thing. So my first five years in Baltimore, and for those who are unfamiliar with Camden Yards, it's one of the few press boxes in baseball that's now air-conditioned. It is open air. So in the humidity, you are sitting outside at the ballpark from, you know, the hottest. It, it is it is so hot, right? It's not like most other stadiums where they have windows that close, they have fans, they have something. Um, for the first five years in Baltimore, I didn't want to wear anything that was um, sleeveless, any kind of mm-hmm. like tank top or anything, because I thought it would give off the wrong impression. So I would be sweating in cardigans in July just so that people thought I was, you know, a, a real reporter. That's how, in my mind, I had to weigh it. And and it's gotten better over the, the 12 years or so I've been in the sport. You know, there are more women. But when I looked around those first couple of years, I was 22, 23 years old. There was no one there but me. And there was nobody to tell me, hey, you should wear this or don't worry about that. There was nobody to kind of navigate these things. And and it hasn't gotten that much better because I hear guys make comments about a woman who wears a tight dress or is dressed a certain way when it's 100 degrees out in the summertime at a, at a ballpark. Um, why can't you wear a dress, right? Why Why would they make dresses for women if you're not allowed to wear a dress? Like I just... The way that some women are treated, it's, you know, and I wrote this in the article, you want to be pretty, but not too pretty. You want to be approachable, but not so much that the players' wives are like, oh, like they're worried about you because the players are worried about you. And I think that there's just this really fine line for women. Like I go out of my way to meet every wife and every girlfriend because I don't want them to think that I'm that kind of a reporter. I'm guessing as a male reporter, that's not something you ever deal with. That's not something you ever think about. I thought about wearing a ring before I got married in there because I thought it might help. Now, I don't, ultimately, I didn't think it really would help or deter anything. But those are the kind of things as a female that you're constantly thinking about. I don't answer texts past 11 p.m. at night. Does that does that sometimes affect me? Does that sometimes mean that I don't get things or that I wake up to confirmations? Yes. But that's just the way I have to operate in this space. I mean, just as you're talking, it's it, it's reminding me of all of these stories that I heard that I would say I remember them, but they didn't – like they just don't sink in. 
the same way. The story about a woman who is no longer in sports media, but at the time was, and there was a story about her meeting a player for coffee or something something like that, and it basically led to a, and she might be sleeping with him type story. And it was like, and I clearly didn't do enough to push back when I heard that too, but I remember just thinking at the time, like, well, that's an awfully big jump, right? She just had coffee with him, right? You had nothing else to go on. I remember the story of, and this may be two separate years, or it might be one year, but when Aaron Andrews would cover, would be like a field reporter at the Futures Games, and Lou Pinella made a crack about her wearing a sundress. And I remember, I swear it was the same year, but she was walking on the field, and I was just surrounded by scouts at that point, and they were also making comments on, basically on her appearance, just you know how she looked in a sundress. And I'm like, I mean, I avoid going onto the field too much. For the futures game because it's usually really hot mm-hmm. you know i mean i maybe i should wear a sundress like it would be more comfortable at least like i don't blame <laughs> anyone if i could go out there in a t-shirt and shorts except i would just not you know it would not be professional but a sundress is professional right there's nothing wrong with wearing that and yet she was subject to comments on her appearance and, and not even comments on uh, you know that it could even be worse than that but it was just comments on how she looked from people that were then probably um, people she could have been trying to go to for information afterwards. And their opinion of her was already colored because of, not because of what she wore, but because of their reactions to what she wore. This is a whole level of cognitive load that I've just never had to deal with. The biggest thing I have to worry about, honestly, is, is um, you know, the reaction of somebody, you know, I do, I do worry about, you know, I never played. I just never played baseball. I didn't even play at the college level. And so is that going to affect how certain people view me? That is nowhere close to the cognitive load that you and other women in any sport, particularly any male sport, sport of male players, have to deal with probably on a daily basis. Yeah, it's just little things like the winter meetings is a huge gathering and people are out getting drinks um i don't in a hotel yeah i don't i don't participate in it for many reasons but one of the main reasons is that it is really easy for someone to have a couple drinks and cross a line and then you ruin a relationship and so to me do i miss out on people having a couple drinks and saying something important or getting loose lipped and telling you something about a club or or you know things like that yes um but to me, the flip side of that is me being seen with somebody late at night in a hotel bar with tons of reporters around. So, you know, I, I kind of make this joke all the time, but, you know, I'm a big fitness person and I do my winter meetings networking in a gym because it's safe. And no one's going to think if they see Gabe Kapler and I talking over by, you know, a leg press machine that there's anything inappropriate going on with us. It's just a different dynamic. And part of that plays to my interests and part of that is just because I recognized early on that it's unfair and there's nothing I could do about it. I wonder, the winter meetings are, I'm not sorry the winter meetings were canceled this year. I'm sorry for the reason. <laughs> there was certainly a big part of this that was like, oh, thank God, I can't stand those things. And part, I don't like the drinking culture of it to begin with. I, I, I do like drinking, but not at work settings because just it impairs judgment and I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, I certainly could. But again, so that's my I'll keep using the phrase, but the added cognitive load for me of being at an event like that in a hotel too, where literally just going up, I remember going up the elevator with uh, Meg Raleigh from Fangraphs in Las Vegas, where we were with a baseball executive whose name I'm not sure of, so I'm not even going to try. 
and a woman who was clearly there in a professional capacity, shall we say. And Meg and I tried to joke about it, but it was clear the whole situation was uncomfortable. And, you know, do I, would I say, oh, let me just walk you back to your room because there's obviously people walking around this hotel who don't necessarily belong in the hotel, for example, but I can't do that. And she would probably not want me to do that for for different reasons. The added cognitive load, you know, I just don't want to drink too much and say the wrong thing or be around someone else when they drink too much and act that way. You know, triple, quadruple that based on everything that you're talking about. Just the appearance, like the woman I mentioned who just had coffee with a player and suddenly it's always he cheating on his wife with this reporter. I just never have never had to think about any of that. At, at any point in my career, even when I was just starting and nervous as heck, it was never like that for me. Yeah. And and like I said, I just, when I heard that story, I was just like, man, this is still going on um, to that degree because that's the most alarming thing is that it's still, like you said, it's the slight things and they continue to build. And I think I've been asked by a lot of people like, what? well, how do I make it better? What am I supposed to do? And um, I think as a, a male in the press box, you know, you don't comment on what a woman's wearing you don't partake in the oh that must be how she got that story wink wink or whatever um you you kind of stop the enabling and that helps because we need allies we need people that that know we're there for the right reasons and like i said so many times i've had coworkers go to bat for me but there have also been times and i've spoke to females who feel this way still now that they're not in that that group they're not in that cool group and they're always going to be somewhat of an outsider trying to prove themselves. And I think that's unfortunate too. The last thing I'll, I'll just offer on this too, is just speaking as somebody who would like to be a better ally is, so when this happened, I realized I knew someone else Porter had done this to. I didn't know the extent, but when I checked back in with her, I actually sent her the link to the article from Jeff Passan and Mina Kimes at, at ESPN and said, hey, does this seem familiar? And she said, oh my God, it's the exact same MO. She told me a little bit of that story in passing a couple of years ago, and I just didn't think she wasn't. She was telling me as a friend, not telling me, and I was not in my sort of rapport as somebody I've just known a very long time. And it was really a coincidence, but I also didn't stop and think maybe I should do something with this. And I feel like when stuff like that happens, when those of us who are, when men in the business hear any story like that, we need to actually say something. It's the, I mean, it's, I don't mean to be trite, but it's the, if you see something or hear something, then say something. The culture of silence around this stuff, the culture of acceptance, that this is just what happens, right? This is just how we talk about women. It's just locker room talk, right? That was the, that's, it is essentially the same thing. We just don't, we just don't, we don't do anything. And because I'll speak personally for me, you know, some of it is just you know, the obliviousness of being a man and not having to worry about this stuff, but also it's easier to not say anything. It's much easier to just sit there and be like, and think to myself, well, that's gross, than to actually stand up and say, you shouldn't say that. I'm offended that you say that, or you shouldn't talk about her that way. That is a level of, you know, that is our privilege that we can choose to avoid that conflict when we could make the choice to actually take on that conflict and stand up, which would actually reduce the cognitive load for all of the women in the press, press box or in the industry that then you don't have to worry about that. So we have to worry about it less then because more people are standing up to sort of tamp down that culture of just sort of this casual misogyny we have everywhere in the sport. Yeah. I mean, it's easier for people to say, oh, he was nice to me, right? Like mm -hmm. I heard he's creepy, but hey, he answers my phone calls. I had and a great relationship with Jared Porter. Right. This is exactly how it happens. Like I 
I think I told Derek this off air on Rates and Barrels, but when this happened, I got two text messages when they hired Jared Porter from two people that said, this guy is shady. He's bad news. Before, so I passed this along within our company. Um, Doesn't really do anything, right? Everyone still writes their glowing features, and that's not a knock on the people at The Athletic because this happened everywhere at every outlet. You go on Twitter, and everybody is saying, this guy's great character, integrity, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking to myself, my first thought, Keith, and this is the problem, I think, is my first thought isn't like, wow, everyone got it wrong. It's, oh, my God, I never should have said what I heard. I'm clearly wrong here. And I think part of the issue with baseball and these sports is we don't have the diversity and we have the same people that are gatekeepers for the sport that are telling you what to think and what to feel. And so that's how this all happens. If this woman didn't have all these text messages and didn't finally come forward, nobody would ever know. And I would just sit here and be like, man, I never should have spoke up about Jared Porter. Everyone loves Jared Porter. Why did I say that? And I think people out talk about like, well, diversity, we just need to hire the best people. You need different people for reasons like this. You need different people because the more different people you have critiquing and watching the sport, the more the different opinions you're going to get. I don't know who, if anyone else, got the text messages that I did that said, this guy is bad news. He's shady. He's on Tinder. He's bragging about women during games in the scout section. I don't know who else got those messages, but I did. And I felt like I should have said something. And instead, I felt like, who am I to say something when all these other strong, powerful men with much bigger networks than me are telling me Jared Porter is a great guy. He's full of integrity. And so you can see how easily this can happen, not just with Jared Porter, but with everybody in the game, with the way these reputations are are held up on this pedestal. I hope people realize just because someone calls you back, just because someone answers your text messages, doesn't make them a great guy, doesn't make them an upstanding citizen at all. Yeah, you can be a great baseball guy and a terrible human. Those two things can absolutely be true at the same time. And I think, like I said, I think Jared Porter had a great, has, I guess. I think his career is over, but he was a good baseball mind. Absolutely. It kind of doesn't matter when you're this kind of person, but uh, I think it is, you know, that's a good sort of reminder too. We just automatically assume, well, he's a good source. He's a good baseball guy. He's somebody who's been very friendly to me and sat with me at games. That does not necessarily mean we shouldn't ask some fairly basic questions about what this guy is like away from the field. Um, So let's talk about something Totally separate from this, you've uh, covered the you've covered the Orioles, you've covered the Nationals, and you've also spent a lot of time talking about the mess that is mass in and its agreements with those two clubs, which are kind of unfavorable to the Nationals. But then last week they did something kind of unprecedented, which you wrote about, uh, I guess on Thursday or Friday. It looks like Friday of last week. So, what did they do, and why is this absolutely ridiculous? Yeah, so the crazy thing here with Masson is they are blowing up their pre and post game shows. So for the Orioles, who had like 42 different announcers, they let go of numerous announcers, including Gary Thorne. He's probably the biggest name here. Huge guy, uh, really beloved. The Orioles are doing some really interesting things in addition to this, trying to defer arbitration payments on several players. They're going to have a payroll of about $60 million, Keith, but most of that is Chris Davis and Alex Cobb. So when you look at, at Masson, they're an Orioles' own network. So for Masson to demand that the teams pay for their pre- and post-game programming, not only is it unprecedented, it's wholly unfair. The Orioles own the majority stake in Masson. The Nationals for years have fought and fought to get legal 
their legal share of what's fair market value. That's the issue here. When Bud Selig was commissioner, he made a sweetheart deal with Peter Angelo so that, uh, you know, the infringement of having a team in D.C., well, the Nationals had a stake that was going to continue to increase by 1%, and then they were going to determine what the fair market share was. These two teams have been tied up in millions of dollars of, uh, of court fees and, you know, tons and tons of litigation for a decade now over what's fair market value. The Nationals are not going to pay for their pre- and post-game programming. So unfortunately, what this means is people are going to lose their jobs. People already have. And they announced today that they're streaming games, which sounds like some big win, except what you have to realize is in order to stream these games, you need to get Masson in the first place. So this isn't opening it up to any new market. (laughs) It's just like so like LOL Mets we talk about. Like this is LOL Orioles like all over again. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, Their streaming group, as I said to you guys off air, not diverse at all, like laughably not diverse. Um, So... There's no spring training games that are going to be included in this package at all. It just seems like a huge short-sighted move after one down year. All these clubs, I think, are just like kind of trying to find any way to to relieve salary. But to me, what are you doing with this regional network? Like, what what are people going to actually watch if there's no virtually no programming? Like, hey, here's the rodeo show we have live. Oops, here comes the Orioles game. And then there's no lead in and no lead out. Like, it's kind of laughable. And I don't know their the economics of their business terribly well, but it does, you know, my first reaction to seeing them cutting all the pre and post game programming is, I understand you get the subscriber fees from people who, who just say, I don't care about anything else. I just want to watch the games. But there's a second revenue stream for these channels that revolves around the advertising. And if people are only watching the live game, by the way, like when I watch live sports, a little less true with baseball because it's the job. But when I've watched a little bit of football, my wife's an Eagles fan. So we're watching a lot of, we were, they weren't very good this year. But when we would watch games, we would record them and start like an hour late so we could get through all of the nonsense. We could zip through some of the commercial breaks and miss halftime, et cetera, which is not great for the advertisers. And if that happens, and if people aren't, people are subscribing to these RSNs, but they're not watching anything but the games, then that's a lot of advertising stock that, yeah, it still probably still sells, but it sells for less or suddenly it's for, you know, bogus nutritional supplements and, you know, multi-level marketing schemes and other things that they're just not making a lot of money from that. It seems like they're leaving that on the table by not even trying to produce other original programming around the live sports events. Yeah. And it, it just seems to me like if you do it right, some of these RSNs are cash cows, right? Yeah. But- With the Orioles, they're a small market team. They're, for whatever reason, really struggling financially. And they've said that if they pay the Nationals what they're supposed to, that they'll go bankrupt. Masson will go bankrupt. So then, yeah, exactly. So then you kind of wonder, I was reading Eno Saris's piece today about relocation. Baltimore is ranked below some of those cities that don't have teams in in a lot of these demographics. So what is the long-term picture in Baltimore? Like, can they support baseball? I, I don't know. I have said a few times, people don't like to hear this, but there if you started from scratch, if you say, if I say, Britt, you're the commissioner of baseball, and you get to pick where all 30 franchises are located, anywhere in the US and Canada, a few cities that have teams right now would not get teams. Milwaukee almost certainly would not end up with a team. Just looking at market size, demographics, weather it would probably be a factor. It's not saying anything against the brewers or the city necessarily, but if you're just doing the math, starting from scratch... They probably wouldn't have a team. Maybe Baltimore wouldn't have a team. Certainly with Baltimore being right in between Philadelphia and Washington from a from an 
uh, league perspective, maybe you'd prefer to have that team located somewhere else where there's less density of teams. And Major League Baseball has just sort of kept everyone where they are for um, sort of their own financial reasons, but it is entirely possible we could see more franchise relocation at some point in the future. Just because it hasn't happened recently doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Right. And I, I think that the pandemic kind of accelerated what we might have saw over five years, right? Or 10 years. All of a sudden, we had this one down year, and the teams that were doing well are going to survive this. The teams that were already kind of in in trouble, like Baltimore, teams yep. that are act, actively tanking as well. They've now got no broadcasters that fans can identify with. They've got no players that fans can really identify with, and they're not going to be good for a while. So... Where is the revenue coming in? I don't see it, right? Like, what are they doing? They can't raise ticket prices, They, you know, with, with, with what the product they have on the field. They're already in trouble. And, you know, you see some of these smaller moves. And I wonder, do they do the Suns, who are now in charge of this team with Peter Angelus stepping away from the day-to-day, do they explore options to sell this team? It's been rumored in this area for forever, Keith, but I do think it's starting to grow some legs. So last thing I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned spring training a little bit in there. So what is your plan for spring training? Where where <laughs> will you be and when do you expect to head out? Uh, my real plan or my like close your eyes, perfect scenario <laughs> plan, because I don't think we're starting on time, right? Nope. Um, Ken Rosenthal wrote today and we saw today it leak out that, you know, Stop me if you've heard this before, Keith. The union and MLB can't agree on something. Um, can we ever get good news on that front? <laughs> nope. Nope. Not allowed. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. Um, you know, Arizona, which is hosting teams already, which is having fans already, is saying like, mm-hmm. hey, guys, you got to stay out. No spring training, um, which is going to cause a huge issue because players want to get paid for the full season. They don't want to be shortened. Right. Owners mm-hmm. are also in the same boat where they want to make a decent amount of money here. So what do you do? I don't know. Like, what, what is the solution to this? You already said, hey, minor leaguers, we're pushing you back. Can you push the big leaguers back? And then the minor leaguers start in what, July at this rate? I don't. I, can minor league baseball handle that? I don't know. Yeah, the minor leagues are. I've said this before. No one wants to talk about this. Acknowledge the possibility. So as I'm doing all these calls for my prospect rankings, right? everyone says we need a season. These guys have to play. Well, is Major League Baseball going to go to the minor league owners and say, we'll subsidize you? You can't have fans this year. You can't have fans for most of this year. You can only have 20% of capacity or something. Here's a check so that you can actually play. Because minor league teams, I actually do believe, they probably do lose money in years where they can't have any fans. That's their main revenue stream. Whereas uh, you know, the major leagues, obviously, they have the TV broadcast side, so they can get away with it. But if we want to have any kind of minor league baseball this year, Maybe we don't even have all four full season levels, but it would not surprise me at all if the only solution to that was that Major League Baseball say, well, we will pay some of these teams to play because otherwise we're not going to have anywhere for them to, for these kids to play to get real repetitions because everyone did the best they could with the alternate site. But I'm sure you've talked to probably at least some of the Nats and Orioles people about this. They all say it's not even close to the same thing as real games. Right. So like in a perfect world, I go to Arizona and Florida for a few weeks and it's great. Mm-hmm. I talk to players and I'm on the backfields and I just don't know if that's an actual real scenario. And I certainly at this juncture don't feel super comfortable going to either one of those places like Arizona and Florida. Like it'd be different if they were in states where it was under control. And we're talking about two of the worst places to go. I'd rather travel abroad than go to Arizona or Florida at this juncture. Traveling abroad sounds Great, actually. Yes. I, I will go look at the COVID map and figure out where we can hold spring training that is not in the United States, but is maybe also warm and doing a better job with the pandemic. 
<laughs> exactly. I, I look forward to this, Keith. I, I'm in for that spring training. And I did hear that the top 100 is this week, right? It is this week. It is Thursday, which means I have to finish writing it. That's so. no pressure at all. What is it, Monday now? I can do this. <laughs> 72 hours, less than 72 hours left. I can, I, I can do I'm going to tell myself I can do this because I really don't have another choice here. <laughs> exactly. Looking forward to reading it, seeing what's on the list. My guest today is Britt Giroli. You can and should follow her on Twitter. She is at Britt with two T's underscore G-H-I-R-O-L-I. She is a national baseball writer for us here at The Athletic. Britt, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's all for this week's show. We will be back to weekly shows from now forward for the foreseeable future, hopefully taking us into spring training, which hopefully will not be too far in the distant future. But in the meantime, please look out for the Top 100 Prospects Ranking, which will run again on Thursday morning, January 28th. Also, if you're already a subscriber, you can see my breakdown of the somewhat surprising trade over the weekend that sent Jamison Tyon from the Pirates to the Yankees in exchange for four prospects. I broke that down for subscribers over the weekend, so please take a look out for that as well. Thank you so much for joining me. Please stay safe. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.